How are ya? Has it been a good day so far? Good night? I don't know when you're listening to this. My waterproofian. So happy to have you here. And this is one of those episodes where the inspiration to talk about the album just struck me like lightning. Sometimes I think about an album and it's on a regular rotation in my brain. And then there's others that you kind of lose track with just how important the album was to your youth. And this was one of those. Not that I've ever forgotten. And if you clicked on this episode, you know what I'm going to talk about today. If you're not a metalhead and it's not really your thing and you follow me because of grunge and alternative, you know, this is uh, I covered the black album before. But Rust in Peace by Megadeth is probably the most influential heavy metal album in my life ever of all time. Hands down, going to say it. I know I often speak in hyperbole. But when I thought to myself, you have to talk about this album, I was so excited because I was like, I just I know these songs backwards and forwards. So I'm so happy you're here to talk with me today or talk. You're not talking. I I forget how podcasts work. I guess I'm doing the talking and you're doing the listening. But let's get to it. Let's jump in because there's a lot to cover with this album. So it's time to talk about Rust in Peace by Megadeth. Let's go. I was doing my best uh, Dave Mustaine. No, that's not my best. I could actually do a better Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine, uh, when he's doing the little growly nasal thing, kind of is a little uh, Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. And he goes, ah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Makes me wonder if Mike Judge was inspired at all by hearing Dave Mustaine to come up with Beavis. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that's a Dave Mustaine. You need your voice like this. Um, God, I love it. So great. One thing we're going to do today, though, before we get into the album, I'm not going to talk about a lot of the personal life stuff that the band has going on in the past or the present. You know, there's obviously controversy around artists all the time. You know, if I ever decided to do uh, Pantera's vulgar display of power, I'd I'd have to deal with the fact that there's a, a lot of controversy around their front man and some of the things that have come up online. Um people have their own opinions about Dave Mustaine. And I know he's said a lot of things that have upset a lot of people, but I'm focusing on this album because it is, um, it's important to me from that time where I was in, in the early nineties, what this album means to me. And I want to kind of just take the time to enjoy it for listening to it in that time. I don't really want to focus on, um, you know, maybe maybe things that have happened about the the person's opinions or views. Uh, by the way, I'm already jumping into the episode and I haven't even talked about DistroKid. I got to talk about DistroKid. OK, so now that I have to talk about DistroKid, I want to talk about DistroKid. So before we get into that conversation, I just want to say that I am going to focus on just the feeling and the energy of this album, the technical skill, the just the, the, the sheer impression that it leaves, the inspiration, the path that it forges for people in music going forward. That's all I want to focus on. I want to focus on that feeling 
and I am not a professional historian. I'm a music lover. So I'm going to tell you some stuff about the album and things that were going on and maybe things you didn't know. But there are probably people out there who have read biographies and books and you may compensate. That's not actually true. Or I, I have a correction for you there. Or you didn't mention this aspect. And honestly, Waterproof Records, if you're new to the show, it's me, Jacob Givens, telling you about an album and how much it meant to me. And then when I have guests on, they get a chance to talk about music that meant a lot to them or I talk about their careers. But all of this comes from the heart as much as possible. So I am bound to not necessarily get things right all the time. Um, and you're welcome to correct me, um, reach out, message me and just and I will call it out. Um, but. Let's get in the episode more, but first I'm going to talk about DistroKid. You know, DistroKid is my sponsor and I love them so much. If you're not using them, I brought up some of the things that maybe I've forgotten to talk about in the past. So DistroKid obviously is your one-stop shop for getting all your music online. And that includes Vivo, Tidal, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, all of them. When you get your DistroKid up and running, you get a free Spotify canvas generator. You get a, a YouTube official artist channel for free. That's included. You can create a promo card to promote your release on social media. Get your synced lyrics and services and search engines. You know, make a mini video to use on your socials or wherever for free. All those things are included. And then they have extra features that you can pay for, like bonuses on top of that. And some of those cool features are make a song for your video um, using Vizzy. Uh, get your music videos, uh, where, where was I? Privately share your music streaming stats and contact info with major labels via Upstream. Oh, that's free also. And then there was this other one, which is get your video out there on DistroVid. So, so many cool things. They're on an iOS app. You upload your music. It really gives you an easy way of keeping your music out there in the world um, so everybody can see what you're doing and you can collect uh, royalties and then you can do splits if it's you and other artists, other band members. They make that super easy. So if you're not using DistroKid, make sure to go to the link on my page, which is distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. And that's 30% off your first year. So I, you hear me talk about it every week. I love them so much and you should definitely be using them. Um, I am a huge fan of what they do. Okay. So we can get back into the Megadeth conversation about what we want to accomplish here today. Um, I know when I did the Rage Against the Machine episode, I talked a little bit about the controversy surrounding the members there. And I know that sometimes when I deal with these artists, it goes back to that debate about, you know, love the separating art from the artist. Right. That's a that's a common thread conversation that people have. And um, it's one of those things that I know that that's a personal struggle for a lot of us. But today, if you can and you're willing and you want to listen to this episode about Rust in Peace, I hope you can just not worry about all that stuff right now and let's just focus on some fucking awesome metal because it's a really killer album. And when I said what I said up top about the most influential, important metal album of my life, it definitely is. It beats Metallica. I'm not going to say that I like Metallica or Megadeth better one or the other, because I think they both serve different chapters of my life in different ways. But this album, I just I played it to death. I played it to Megadeth. Yes, <laughs> I did it. Oh, I listened to this so many times, so many times. And this was the secret album that I talked on previous episodes, which was my brother and I had gotten money from chores and mowing lawns. And we went to the tape, you know, we went to the, the, the store in the mall, music store in the mall. I don't remember the name of this. It wasn't a Tower Records. It was like a, 
can't remember what some of these chains were that sold the cassette tapes. Um, you know, when you would go up and they had that long plastic, it had this long plastic like carton thing that it sat in when you'd buy a cassette tape. And I remember without my mom present, I bought Suicidal Tendencies Lights Camera Revolution and my brother bought Rust in Peace, Megadeth. But because we both had these official albums now, um, these actually, wait, did I buy Rust in Peace and Joel brought Suicidal Tendencies? Now I can't remember because we basically, we swapped them back and forth. We just kept going back and forth as to who listened to it. Now I'm beginning to think I bought Rust in Peace and he bought Suicidal Tendencies. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's the tapes that my mom found and she flipped out and, you know, we were a Christian home, church going home. She was really scared by these band titles, Suicidal Tendencies in Megadeth. And so she made us throw them in the trash. But without her knowledge, we dubbed them to another tape. We dubbed them to blank tapes before we tossed them in the trash. So, ha ha, mom. <laughs> we, she said, you guys have to throw these away. And we had to like in front of her, she had to witness us getting rid of them. Or maybe even she threw them away. But we had dubbed them to unreadable, you know, no labels. And so now I think about Rust in Peace and Suicidal Tendencies, those albums as these blank tapes that were the the secret tapes. You know, parents, when you take away your music's, uh, your children's music, it just makes them love it more. That only reinforced my love of metal um, that would grow and grow and grow. I mean, I stayed close to the big four all the way through high school and college and my early twenties. And then something happened like a light went off in my brain, probably in the late two thousands when I started discovering, you know, I think this was around the time that I discovered the human abstract and I started learning a little bit more about like the progressive and that's really opened the, the floodgates. And then I started getting into the super, super heavy death metal death core, um, and, you know, started going to metal shows all the time. And I think I've talked about it before, but Black Dahlia Murder is one of my favorite, uh, melodic death metal bands of all time. Um, and I was very sad, um, you know, when we lost the incredibly talented frontman of that band. So anyway, that's not what this episode's about. Um, I need to focus on Megadeth. So this is that secret album. And I am loving it. And what I think I loved so much about Rust in Peace is it was it was edgier and harder and faster. And the technical aspect of these riffs was just next level. And this is viewed by fans of Megadeth as kind of the definitive lineup of the band, as in it was always, you know, Dave Mustaine. It is his baby. But, you know, Dave Ellefson has been a, probably another one of the longest running members in the band as well, um, who just recently had to get out of there for other reasons. Um, and but this is the era where we have Nick Menza on drums. Rest in peace. He passed away a few years ago from um, heart failure while playing drums on stage. It was in 2015 or 2016. Um, not drug related. He had a heart attack on stage playing drums at 51 and he died and they did the autopsy and this was not um, drug and alcohol related. He had been sober for eight years. So maybe some of his younger um, behaviors had negatively influenced uh, what would happen with his heart one day. But he did die at 51 just about uh, again. I want to say it's 2016. 
maybe 2015. Nick Menza, the drummer, Dave Ellis Ellison on bass. And then we have Marty Friedman on the guitar. Marty Friedman, if you're a guitar player, you know what I'm talking about when I say that dude. That dude just was a wizard. We all were like, uh, he's so good. He's so amazing. Dave Mustaine is an incredible guitar player and a good soloist, and he's got kind of this edge in this harshness because, of course, he was an original Metallica member. He had this speed, this thrash style. But Marty Friedman, those fingers have been like kissed by the angels. He is such a good guitar player. And the story about how he joins the band is kind of amazing um, because he was, you know, when they were auditioning new guitar players for Megadeth, he was offered up by the label as like, this is a guy that you should look at. He has a solo album. He played in Cacophony. Here's his solo record. It's called Dragon's Kiss. And it's sitting there. And Dave Mustaine is very dismissive of it because he thinks that Marty on the album cover looks like a poser in his own words. He's just like, this guy's hair is too different colors. You know, he made jokes about him looking like a like a every other lame ass guitar teacher. He said he was un, unkempt and unshowered and just just was a mess and just didn't seem like the right fit um, for Megadeth. And then, you know, get, ended up giving him a chance. Uh, crazy enough, other people who auditioned to be the guitar player in Megadeth at this time, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera, he auditioned and he was good enough. But his demand was he wanted his brother to also Vinnie Paul to be in the band as the drummer. And Dave had already hired Nick Menza, so that wasn't going to happen. So he wasn't going to be able to come on board. And at the time, Slash from Guns N' Roses was actually playing with Mustaine and Elfson quite a bit. He was kind of jamming around with them. So there was rumors at the time. At least this is what I've read online. Again, if you're the Megadeth expert out there, this is all I found in some of my research. Slash was playing with him a lot. It was rumored that he might play with Megadeth, but he stuck with Guns N' Roses and didn't join the band. And then uh, guitar player Jeff Loomis auditioned and he was great, but Dave said he was too young because he was 18 at the time. So these were some of the people that auditioned. And then finally we get Marty Friedman, who they helped him, you know, get him some style, get him some clothes, clean him up a little bit, cut his hair. I mean, he had, does have that big hair, but this is the magic ingredient for this era of Megadeth. You have Dave Mustaine, Marty Friedman, Dave Ellison, and Nick Menza. This is how I'm discovering Megadeth. Now, little did I know. Now, if you're a diehard fan and you were in on the earlier albums, Rust in Peace comes out September 24th, 1990. This is their fourth album. Their first three, which I love this because... The first three albums you can only describe as Dave Mustaine kind of like the titles with the with the ellipses in the middle gives it this like two people talking, you know, like a split personality, you know, like the first album in 84 is called Killing is My Business and Business is Good. But it's, you know, the title is Killing is My Business dot 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 and Business is Good. And you can picture Dave Mustaine writing that out and being like, Killing is My Business. And business is good, <laughs> you know, and then the next album after that is called Peace Sells dot dot dot. But who's buying? So we do it again and we've got this Peace Sells, but who's buying? You know, it's like so Mustaine. Then you finally you get to the next one, which is really where the Megadeth doors kind of get blown down and people start discovering them. This album is selling. Um, this is so far so good. So what? 
And that's in 19, where is that? Is that 86? Maybe it's 86. I can't remember now. Maybe 88. So I think it's 88. So they, um, that album, and once again, here's that ellipses in the middle. So far, here, let me do this. The Dave Mustaine, since we're doing it so far. So far. So good. So what? <laughs> From now on, I hope you only hear those album titles and think of him doing his little thing like this. You know, hello, me. Meet the real me. Um, he has these three albums with those titles and iconically introduces the, the world to Vic Rattlehead, which is a heavy metal mascot. Now, if you don't know who Vic Rattlehead is, if you've seen Megadeth t-shirts, Megadeth album covers, it's a skeleton head in a suit and he's he's representing see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It's got the metal plate over his eyes, the metal caps over where his ears would be, and then the hooks over his mouth so he can't speak. So that is referenced on the first album and it became this Megadeth mascot, Vic Rattlehead. And the name Vic comes from victim and Rattlehead was Mustaine's mom. When he would headbang, she would say, you're going to rattle something loose up there. And that turned into this like rattle one's head, Vic Rattlehead victim. So Dave Mustaine was so uh, famous for in heavy metal um, where other metal bands at the time in the era were introducing. I mean, we're being very hedonistic and kind of wild and. He wanted to talk about political, you know, government conspiracies, wanted to talk about injustices and things like that. It was it. That's a little bit of that punk mentality. Right. Um, so he wanted to do that. And so this Vic, Vic Rattlehead. And I got to say, like coming up with a metal mascot is the coolest thing when you're a young kid and you're getting into metal. I mean, those characters like Eddie from Iron Maiden. Eddie's famous, you know, skeleton guy from their artwork coming up with these great mascots is like so fun when you're a young fan. I mean, what else do you want to do more than get your trapper keeper, get your class folder and sketch a picture of Vic Rattlehead on there? Right. Like how fun was that? I, I remember having my binders and I would sketch or write like metal names and logos. You know, people always reference on social media about that funny S symbol that everybody drew that was all the same. I did that, but but what really echoes in my mind more is band logos, writing down like Metallica with the with the you know, spikes on the edges, you know, drawing out Megadeth and drawing a picture of Vic Rattlehead. You know, that, oh, that brings back so many memories. And then what was so fun is if you drew Vic Rattlehead on your folder, then maybe the kid next to you in class is going to be like, awesome, mega death. And then you just found your new best friend. You just found your buddy. You guys are going to be trying to play Hangar 18 and you're going to be like, we're like Friedman and Mustaine, <laughs> you know, um, that's what would happen. You draw Vic Chestnut, not Vic Chestnut. <laughs> That's a so sorry. Vic Chestnut is the musician. And when I hear the name Vic, sometimes I say that one first. Uh, that was the sweet relief. Um, Vic Chestnut, the musician and the Smashing Pumpkins covered his song. So I meant to say Vic Rattlehead, not Vic Chestnut. I knew I was going to do that before this episode. I was like, I bet you somewhere along the way when I'm talking about Vic Rattlehead, I'm going to accidentally say Vic Chestnut. And sure as shit, I did. 
think I need to take a drink of water here and just breathe for a second. I feel like I'm talking 100 miles an hour because I love Megadeth. So let's talk about Rust in Peace, September 24th. Um, 1990. So we're 23 years later, almost exactly. And no, 33 years later. Oh, you guys, (laughs) my brain just did it. It did that thing where we're not that far from the nineties. I dropped an entire decade off of that number. 33 years. My God, 33 years. Time keeps on slipping. Um, Rust in Peace. This title comes from Dave Mustaine is driving in traffic in Lake Elsinore and he sees a bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker says, A nuclear bomb can ruin your whole day. May your nuclear weapons rust in peace or something like that. I'm, I feel like I wrote it down here. Let me see if I can actually find the real quote because I want to get it right. Oh, here it is. May all your nuclear weapons rust in peace. And then the other side of the car said, um, wait, 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 I'm reading it wrong. One side said one nuclear bomb could ruin your whole day. Yes. Then may all your nuclear weapons rust in peace. And that's where Dave Mustaine saw that phrase rust in peace. And he was like, yeah, no more naming albums with like a word dot, dot, dot. Another word. It was just rust in peace. So this is very, uh, you know, Cold War aliens, conspiracy. We're on the verge of, you know, just fighting each other constantly. The cover's got Vic Rattlehead and he's over the alien discovery. And we've got five world leaders, Mikhail Gorbachev, um, George H.W. Bush and others. Um, and that's the cover. So, I mean, I just remember in 1990 thinking this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. I was like, this is so awesome. So awesome. And it was. It was. And so this album is really the first time we have a sober Dave Mustaine in 10 years. He's been drunk and using heroin and had a drug problem with all the other members. So many fallings out. You know, they had this huge opportunity at the Monsters of Rock um, in England, in the UK. and, And that whole thing was a disaster. And then he got into a car accident. It got forced to go to rehab. So we've got a sober Dave Mustaine. So he's writing at his best, you know, he's probably sharper and clearer than he has been in years. And it really shows on this album. I think this album is probably got to be considered in the top 20 greatest metal albums of all time. I would put it in my, like I said, it's my number one. It's my number one. Um, but let's get into some of the songs because I've just been talking about stuff on that. Holy Wars, The Punishments Do. Is there a better opener for an album? Jeez. I mean, yeah, there's a million fantastic, mind-blowing uh, openers for albums. You know, I, I, look, I would say Cherub Rock on Siamese Dream, and I would say, you know, there's obviously, there's a time and a place. I'm never one to say something is the best of anything because I just mean, oh, it's really good. So I want to clear something up right now. I have posted a TikTok about me listening to this song for the first time. And I've actually reposted it because a lot of people missed it the first time. But um, a lot of people, when I reference that this song also talks about the Punisher from the Marvel Comics character, the Punisher. 
they often want to correct me and say, no, this is about the troubles, the Ireland conflict um, between the Protestants and the Catholics. And, and this is what Holy Wars is about. It's not about the Punisher. And I'm like, you are correct and I am correct because it's about both. So if you didn't know this, the first half of the song, Holy Wars, absolutely about Antrim in Ireland, about the city, about the show, about the conflict, the troubles, the Protestants and the Catholics fighting and the, the troubles. That is 100% what inspired the first part of the song and the lyrics. But the last part, the punishments do, is also inspired by Frank Castle, the Punisher from the comic books. So before you come for me and say, no, it's just about this one thing. No, it's about two things in one song. I remember having to write that in the comments like 30 times because people are like, no, it's not about that. But it is about both things. And the fascinating story behind Holy Wars and the first part about the conflict, the troubles were the Irish having an internal you know, civil war between the Protestants and the Catholics. So you had the Catholics that wanted to separate from the UK and be with the Republic of Ireland. And, you know, they were, they were more like the conservative, I don't know, you get like, I don't know, close to Republican, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with that. And then, then you have the Protestants that were more like union and they wanted to stay with the UK. And that was a huge conflict that went on. That's a very simplified version. If you're Irish, I apologize. I apologize to you. Um, if I'm simplifying it, but that was the troubles. And this went on for hundreds of years, this conflict, and it really escalated around this time. And so Megadeth is on tour and they're playing in Antrim, Ireland. And while they're there at the show, the way I understand it, Dave Mustaine is outside and this kid has a sign and it says, fuck you, Dave Mustaine. And the kid like spits at Dave Mustaine and he's kind of puzzled by it. And then somebody inside is like, that's just like the punk, like he's just being punk. And so he's like, okay, he's kind of thrown by what that's all about. And this guy pours him a beer, it's a Guinness, and he's like drawing a smiley face in the foam. And this guy is explaining that Dave has seen, Dave Mustaine is seeing that somebody is selling bootlegged Megadeth t-shirts to the show. And he's trying to put a stop to it. And somebody explains to him, he's like, well, they're selling the shirts, the bootleg shirts for the cause. And he says in this conversation, which now remember, he's drinking, they're doing drugs. He says the way he's hearing this subject about the cause, he kind of was like, oh, I kind of like what this is about in terms of like trying to quell the tensions between the Protestants and the Catholics and the troubles. And, you know, he kind of liked the idea of it. So he's like, all right. So that's his understanding going out on stage at this concert. So he goes out on stage and. You know, he says there's already it's already kind of chaos in there. It's already really, really high tension. And they the people backstage are partying like crazy and having a great time. And Dave just goes up there and dedicates anarchy in the UK to the cause, not realizing that his audience is half Protestant, half Catholic. And it they it, they go bananas. It, it starts a, a riot because that was like the most inflammatory thing he could say right then and there during the, the conflict um, of the Troubles Antrim. 
And so he says this thing, not realizing, not realizing the gravity of his words and what it would do. And it causes an all out riot. And he gets escorted out there in a bulletproof vehicle because it's dangerous. There's, there's, you know, his chaos. So that's what happened. And when they explained to him, this is why he got in his mind, like we're killing for religion, something I don't understand. You know, one person thinking their religion is better than the next. It's just stupid. Dave Mustaine is, was raised religious, you know, is, is Christian now. Um, I think he was born Jehovah's witness and he became a born again Christian. And so he believes in God, but he also didn't like hypocrisy or, you know, somebody killing for religion. And so that's what inspired that. Then the second half is the Punisher. So that's your breakdown of how we got to Holy Wars in Antrim in a conflict in Ireland, which thankfully has since ceased and it's not happening anymore. Um, but that is why people often say this song is about this or this song is about this, but it's about two things. So if you didn't know that, there you go. All right. No other song will have as much in-depth uh, in explanation of that one, but that song is a journey. If you, if you saw my TikTok video, you can see you go through just a whole journey in that song, just massive. Then you get to Hangar 18. I remember, I have such a specific memory of this. Brian Brewer, if you're out there, I remember we watched this video at your house on repeat. We watched it over and over again because we believed at the time that if we watched them solo in the video, that like we would somehow gain their powers of guitar skill. I mean, it was kind of funny. We were joking. We knew it wouldn't really happen, but we watched it over and over again. I feel like at his house that night, I slept over and we watched the Hangar 18 video. I, I feel like it was 30 times. We watched it over and over and over again. Um, the guitar part of that riff of Hangar 18, if you can kind of hear it, it, it sounds a little bit similar to Call of Cthulhu from Metallica. And you can hear that there's a similarity. And I think that there's some writing credits on that from Dave. So it sounds like there was something pulled a little bit from one to the next. But it's very similar. It's just a fast, you know, strumming pattern. Um, in that thrash way that Megadeth does, but I love Hangar 18 and the video was all this alien Roswell, New Mexico conspiracy. And I think in an interview later, Dave Mustaine said that was really Nick Minza who was kind of like crazily obsessed with aliens. And he was like, kind of like really, really into it almost to a point where it caused conflict and arguments between the two of them. And they just decided not to talk about it anymore. But when he was writing the song, he wasn't necessarily talking that much about the conspiracy stuff. He was talking about other things, but, uh, it turned into this, you know, big alien song. But anyway, I mean, look, it inspires the cover of the album and it is such a killer song. I love hangar 18. Now take no prisoners. Um, I, my brother and I used to sit there and go, take no prisoners, take no shit. We used to have such great, uh, times saying shit, you know, like how a bunch of young kids, church boys in the private with their headphones on, you know, going, going into the bedroom and going, take no prisoners, take no shit. I do want to say something though about the original, um, album of rust and peace is that there was a remix and a remaster done, I think in 2004. And I gotta be honest. I just, my ears got so used to hearing the 1990 version that the remix is fine, but there's clearly some alternate vocal takes and some changes that were made on the, on the remaster, the remix. 
and it changed the way that my ears hear things. I don't know if any of you guys ever have that as a problem when you listen to albums. It's like when they go in and they change something, you've listened to it a certain way for so long that when you go in and you remaster, remix it, or you enhance the vocals or change the vocals, it's just jarring to me. I'll never be able to hear Rest in Peace in the new version where things are kind of changed around. My ears always want to hear. I don't care if the vocal wasn't as clearly recorded or the guitar was muted or whatever. I like that version. Um, I just sometimes I feel like that the remasters are like, you don't need to. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but anyway, that's just my opinion. Take Take No Prisoners was uh, Chuck Baylor and Jeff Young, who were the previous members of Megadeth with Dave. I think he had just said that he'd gotten so frustrated with how all those years went with those guys and the drug problems and all the fallings out that he just put all the most angry, obnoxious things that he could put on paper when writing Take No Prisoners. And that's what inspired that. Now, I don't necessarily have some kind of fun fact on every single song here. So I've already been talking for quite some time. And so I could probably move a little faster. But Five Magics. Come on. What a cool song. Five Magics. This is the kind of shit that scared these Midwestern Christian parents that were like, are you playing Dungeons and Dragons and listening to Five Magics? But, you know, it was so fun. It was so fun. I just felt like the biggest, like I just geeked out on this shit. Aliens and magic and conspiracy Five magics, (laughs) you know, I just remember thinking it was so, so cool. I still think it's cool, but when I was a kid, I master five magics. They apparently didn't play five magics live ever until, until 2010. Like I, I, if I remember correctly, that song wasn't played live until 2010. So if I ever see you play live Megadeth, I better hear some five magics. Then Poison was the cure. Um, I think that might be the song that was famously like one of the harder riffs, like in the, I think in my notes here, like one of the, one of the more difficult riffs in the world, always making lifts, uh, lists for, you know, one of the hardest things to, uh, to record. Anyway, I might be remembering that wrong. Poison was the cure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five on the top 10 most complex riffs. So I have never tried to learn Poison from the Cure, but I can talk in depth about Tornado of Souls, and we're going to get there. Oh, there was one other thing that I had in my notes, which was really cool. Um, the four or five magics. Um, Marty Friedman recorded the guitar solo for five magics on one of Slash's guitar picks. And the story behind that is that he was struggling to get the solo. Couldn't quite get it. Wasn't landing. Wasn't working. And then... Um, the producer in the studio, Mike Klink, is like, yeah, I think Slash has a guitar pick that he left around here in the studio. And so he gives it to Marty and he does it in one take and nails it. And that's it. So, hey, Slash Mojo on the five magics. Um, then, OK, so let's get to, let's keep moving. Poison was cure. Amazing riff. Lucretia. I just learned recently that was uh, that was inspired by Lucrezia Borgia from the infamous Borgias, the Italian crime family. So I, I think that it was, you know, she was rumored to be, a, you know, kind of a 
dark historical figure as in she poisoned or killed and incest and all part of that. But I think it's come out since then that maybe she was manipulated by her crazy, corrupt family. But anyway, that Lucretia, the, the, um, the song lyrics were inspired by Lucrezia Borgia, but that is a killer. It starts out with that. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could, I could probably hum this entire album from start to finish in my mind. I listened to rust in peace on repeat, such a killer album. Now this is one of the ones, this is the best song on the album in my personal opinion. And it is called tornado of souls. Tornado of souls is so special to me because I loved it so much. I love it so much that opening riff and that guitar solo is just everything. It just moves through your bones in the most perfect way. The dynamics of the solo on Tornado of Souls is just mind-blowing. It's It has stayed with me my whole life. And I just recently learned that Dave Mustaine went into the studio after Marty Friedman recorded it and just shook his hand. Just turned around after he heard the take and shook his hand. And Marty said that's when he knew he was the guitarist of this band. Like he was, yep, I earned my, I earned my way. And that's that that's that Marty Friedman skill that we all wanted so bad as guitar players. We all wanted to play like Marty Friedman. I know you did. If you didn't, then wow, what a guitar player. Tornado Souls has such a special memory for me because I was a new guitarist and my brother was playing bass and I sat down and I told him I wanted to learn how to play Tornado of Souls. And my, he never did this. Joel never did this, but he did this one time. I started playing the riff poorly, trying, you know, looking at Guitar World magazine, trying to learn how to play it. And I wasn't doing very well. And he said, I want you to play it over and over again and until you get it. And I don't know why I listened to him, but I felt like, yes, this is like the, this is the tutelage I need. This is the pressure that I need, but he put that pressure on me and I did. I sat there for like an hour just trying over and over again. And he really pushed me to learn that opening riff. Now I recently started trying to play it again. It's been a long time. I can still do it, but I, I rush it. I, my timing on, on it is not great. And I I'm missing that skill that I once had, but I'll never forget when I got it, when I got it. I would go hang out with my my guitarist friends and peers and I would show them that I could play the opening riff for T Tornado of Souls and they were just like whoa <laughs> that was such that was such a cool moment for me as a guitar player. Now, I tried to learn the entire song. I did. I had the book or I at least had the song from Guitar World and I tried to learn the whole thing. But that solo is a beast. You know the sweet picking but that there's one part, there's, there's a few parts that I can still play of the solo, but it's such a good solo and such a good song. And, um, I, before I die, I want to be able to play tornado souls start to finish. I don't know. Got to set goals, right? All right. We're, we're, we're going for a while here. I told you this is one of those ones. This is one of those episodes that, excuse me, sorry, I'm burping. Um, I could talk about this album. 
And actually, Countdown to Extinction, I would say right underneath this one. I listened to that one pretty obsessively, too. I was crazy about it, but not quite the obsessive level of Rust in Peace. I loved Countdown to Extinction also. Um, And then I kept up with Megadeth somewhat in the 90s. I got really into alternative and grunge after this and kind of moved away from metal um, for most of the 90s after this. This would always be a classic. But I liked it when they came up with like Angry Again and 99 Ways to Die on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. You know, I enjoyed those songs, Train Train of Consequences, the, the singles that would be dropping. But once the band lineup changed from this lineup, I didn't I just didn't stay as focused on them as I did during this specific, very hyper focused era of 1990 to 1992, right around here. Um then we get to Don Patrol. Don Patrol is the bass, you know, lead piece where you just have Dave kind of singing like this, you know, no, no pollution warnings. <laughs> My brother and I used to always say this. Psst, 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 Don the Don Patrol. I loved learning that on the bass. My brother learned it. I learned it. And so it was always a fun one to sit down. You saw my video probably about where I'm making fun of the guitar player trying to press the bass player that definitely came from me wanting to impress my brother. You know, people have said really shitty comments like who cares about impressing the bass player or, you know, people say such stupid shit. I I love all of you because you're listening to the show because you're probably really cool. Um, You are really cool. If you're listening to waterproof records, you're probably a really great, cool person, but man, there are some people out there that you go, one, you have zero sense of humor. And two, like you just don't have fun with anything, you know, <laughs> like I'm making this video because it it came from me wanting to impress my older brother and his friend, Blaine, who was a bass player. I wanted to impress them. I wanted them to see that I could handle some cool bass riffs. So it was like a very specific memory of mine. And so I made a video about it. And then just the way people raid into your personal life experiences, whatever. I'm not bitching. I know you guys come at me in the comments and you're like, don't worry about it. Don't want to stress you. You can't let it affect you. Eh, I'm a hypersensitive, empathetic person. It always affects me. But anyway, but we move on. But rest in peace when they perform this live, um, which I've never seen because I've never seen Megadeth live. What? Just like I've never seen Metallica live. What? Got to fix that. But when they play this live, Dave Ellison would play the bass, you know, in the spotlight and Dave Mustaine would go backstage and do his vocals like over the mic, over the speakers, but not be on stage just to have it be, um, you know, which I don't think I'll be able to see Dave Ellison play with the band anymore. Um, you can read up on that yourself on that situation. So that is where we get to rust in peace Polaris, which is the last song on the album. If you think my creation is the last song on the album, you are incorrect. That was added for the remix in the original 1990. The last song on the album is rust in peace Polaris, which has got that killer opening drum. Mr. Nick Menza RIP. What a killer drummer. Um, and then that's it. Cause my creation was, was later. If you had this on cassette, the last track was close out on Polaris. And that's Rust in Peace. That's fucking killer metal album. Um, I, I, you know, I hope that if you listen to this episode that you're a diehard Megadeth fan and this was fun to reminisce. And if you're somebody who listens to this show and you didn't get into Megadeth or Metallica or any of that metal side, I'm going to occasionally um, I'm going to occasionally step into my metal love. 
because it's a big part of my life. So there'll just be episodes that are just for the metalheads, I guess. Or if you wanted to find your way into learning more about it, then then I'm your guy. I'm your podcast source for all things metal. Well, no, I'm sure there's some diehard metalheads out there that can nail it. Like I said, I'm not a not a historian and I'm not a, a master of these subjects. I'm just a fan, dude. Just a fan, just a Megadeth fan. So that's it. That is Rust in Peace by Megadeth, 1990 killer thrash album. Timeless classic, unbelievable guitar playing. Marty Friedman, just chef's kiss. And um, yeah, it'll it'll forever be one of my all times. It is my all time favorite metal album. If you're going to put in quotes, metal album. Um, but that's it. Thanks for joining me to talk a little bit about Megadeth. I had a blast talking about this one. I always have fun, but this one in particular, I, I was, I was geeking out pretty hard because, uh, I just, just brings back a lot of great memories. Um, so thank you. This was a lot of fun for me. I laughed. I didn't cry. Hey, it was an episode where I didn't cry. Look at that. (laughs) Sometimes I can just be silly and have fun. Um, Thank you for joining me again on another Waterproof Records. I love making this show. I really do. I've got some guests that I'm working on booking soon, so I'll have some guest episodes. But you know what's wild is you guys really like the ones where I just talk about albums. I look at I look at the downloads. When I just talk about an album, those are your favorite ones. They, you know, cool. You like to just jam with me. That feels pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong. My guests do well on here, but you really get into the ones where I'm just talking about an album and I appreciate it. So make sure to check out distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. Get that 30% off your first year. And remember, I can't do this show unless it keeps growing. Um, and we get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, maybe one day take this thing on the road, do waterproof records live, do some performances in LA where you can come see, Um, I have an exciting opportunity coming up in November. It hasn't been locked in yet, but I've been asked to be a guest DJ, um, at a vinyl bar. It's not very close to Los Angeles. It's about an hour outside of town, but, um, I'm excited. I've never been asked to do something like that before. And I think it would be a lot of fun. So cool things like that on the horizon. Um, I'm about to launch a special t-shirt. Um, I had a very, very amazingly talented artist, um, provide a waterproof records t-shirt design. And it's so good. Um, lady love out of Mexico. She did some artwork for the smashing pumpkins for their Mexico show. She's so great. She's so wonderful. And she designed this really cool picture. And I've been working on getting that published. I've just been spending a lot of my summer traveling and doing a lot of things. And I was worried that I wouldn't be able to give a lot of focus to it, but I'm planning on launching that soon. And it's going to be a limited run. I feel like it should be like, a you know, it's only sold for a short period of time. So it's more of like a cool thing that if you got it when it came out, cool, you got like the special edition um, T-shirt. So I'll release that soon. So thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe. If you haven't already, make sure to give me those comments. It always helps, you know, to, to leave a word or two on there. And I appreciate you every time I get to do this. I feel so fortunate that I have an audience that wants to hear me talk about loving music. Um, I love you deeply. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week 
and um, there'll be more Waterproof Records soon. So thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I can feel it. If this going to be that kind of body, I'm going to...